0: Amen. Amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a copy of God's Word on your lap to John chapter 1. If you need a Bible, there's one under a seat somewhere around you there, and if you don't uh, have a Bible or there's not one around you, pull it up on a phone. Uh, we're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you'll find the book of John right at the beginning of it, but get, uh, get a copy of the Bible open in front of you, because I want you to see that what we're talking about tonight is what God says from His Word, and while you find that, uh, let me just say, um, um, Christmas is one of those things that uh, one of those holidays that rolls around every year, and we've been talking about tonight that our hope and our prayer for tonight is that 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 if if there's just a little bit of a spark of the awe of what Christmas is, that God would ignite that into a wildfire and just reawaken the awe because. Um, Christmas being something that rolls around annually, depending on how many years you've been on this earth, a familiarity of it can make it lose some of its awe, and um, we just want to focus tonight on why should this elicit all in our awe in our heart every single year. Uh, the reality of familiarity just kind of uh, letting things lose their awe, you know, people who live by the Grand Canyon can drive by it every day and barely even notice that it's there anymore. Um, I grew up in Michigan, and um, people from Indiana here, you'll go up on vacation, and you'll be like, the Great Lakes are amazing. And I'm like, I guess they are. I didn't even think about it. I guess they are pretty cool. But the more familiar we grow to something, the, the less awe that it can elicit in our heart. But Christmas is something that should elicit awe. As we think about what we're celebrating tonight and tomorrow as we gather with family, this should produce awe and worship in our heart. And so um, tonight, we're going to talk about why as God's people should we sit in awe of this Christmas holiday. Now, I think um, there's something really important of how do we keep this awe fresh for the Christmas holiday. Um, um, If you think about, if I ask the question, um, how does the Christmas story begin... Most of us would answer, well, Joseph and Mary were in Nazareth, and a census was decreed, and they had to leave Nazareth and come down to the city of Bethlehem, and we would tell the Christmas story, and that's great. That would be a great answer to how does the Christmas story begin, but I want to back up even farther than that, way farther beyond the census and the travel they had to make. I want to start right there at the beginning, and that's why I have us at the beginning of the Gospel of John, because uh, John as he writes his gospel account of the life of Jesus, he doesn't start, his first order of business isn't to start with like, here's the genealogy in which Jesus came from. His first order of business isn't, and uh, here's the birth account of Jesus. John wants to start his gospel account, not necessarily uh, historical. It is historical, but not necessarily historical as here's the lineage and the genealogy and the birth account. John wants to start his gospel theological. He wants to talk about who is this Jesus. And so tonight, I just want to set up our time here for a few moments to uh, usher us into a celebration of the uh, Christmas holiday with hearts full of worship. I want to set up our night like this. First, we're going to talk about who is Jesus? Who is he? Who has he always been? Let's talk about who Jesus is and was and always will be way before he was ever laid in hay in a manger. And then... Once we set up the theology of who Jesus is, this is what will, will spark the awe in our heart as we think about Jesus laid in a manger. That's where we're going tonight, and that's why I have us at the beginning of John's gospel. So if you got it open in front of you, uh, get your eyes down in it right now to John chapter one verse one. And the word of God says this: "In the beginning was no pun intended, but what's the word there? In the beginning was the word." Capital W, we got to deal with this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if you've grown up and you're familiar with the Bible, um, who is John talking about here in this very first verse of his gospel? Who is he talking about? Jesus. But that's not evident. I mean, when I was newer to the faith or when when people come to me and say, I'm kind of searching out this, this Jesus thing and what it means to be a Christian, where should I start reading in the Bible? My first answer for them is always the book of Leviticus, okay? No, it isn't. It's the gospel of John. And it's a good answer because John tells us, I'm writing this gospel so that you will believe Jesus is the Christ. But then I always laugh that the very first line they read is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And people are like, who is he talking about? Who's he talking about, church? He's talking about Jesus. Now, why then does John not just say to start his gospel, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Answer, because, God, or because John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing what the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write here. If God wanted him to write, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, he would have. But God led John to call Jesus the Word of God. Now let's just stop there and understand why John might be writing Jesus is the Word of God. Now, there's a lot to that Greek word, word, logos, that we can't go into in full force here tonight. But let's think about how words work. Words communicate what something is. Words communicate what something means. Words, our communication, enables us to not be confused about what we're talking about. We look at that and we say, that is a Christmas tree. And all of us know what I'm talking about when I point to this. Now think about this. When John starts his gospel and says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, he says, you want to know who God is? That's a big, that's a big concept. If I walked up to you tonight and I said, who is God? We might go, wow, um, where do I start? You want to know where John's starting? He goes, you want to know, you want to know what God looks like? You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. He is the very word of God. He is communicating to us who God is. And this is a theme that John runs all the way through his gospel. Jesus is going to say here, John records Jesus' words. He goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I, I want us to start tonight by understanding... When we talk about, when we get to the nativity scene, and we're talking about Jesus born and he was laid in a manger and he, he's laying there in hay and there's animals around, that we're not just talking about a sentimental moment in history of, of, of like a really great, prominent historical figure being born in a very humble means. We're talking about God coming down, laid in hay. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Beautiful statement of the Trinitarian God right there. And then John wants to make sure we get it. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So Jesus wasn't created with the manger scene. He wasn't the first thing that God created. Jesus was, is, always, will be God, and thus he's always been. When did Jesus begin? He's always been. He is this pre-existent God. Now look at what John goes on in verse 3 to say. He's building his case of who this Jesus is all things, verse 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. See the logic of what John's doing. He's saying, I want you to understand from the very first line of my gospel, Jesus is God. Now he's going as God. Jesus is creator God. He is creator. He's not created. He is creator. And John is redundant in this verse here. He's saying... All things were made through him. And then he says right after that, without him was not anything made that, was, that has been made. We're talking, as we celebrate this Christmas, we're talking about God come down. God from the beginning. God who is creator. Now keep going. He's building his case. Verse 4. In him, what's the word? You tell me right there in your Bible. In him was? In him was life. And the life, he qualifies this life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. I'm telling us, the only way that we won't just grow familiar with the Christmas celebration. The only way we do not let Christmas be reduced down to just the sentimental thing we do where we exchange gifts and we get together with family, and that's all good stuff. The only way we don't let it get reduced down into the sentimental level is to reawaken the awe and the worship every single year to go, this is God. He's creator God. He is the source and the giver of life, God. And the life that Jesus gives is light that completely dominates, penetrates, and overcomes darkness. This is who we're talking about here tonight. God. Not, not just some sentimental picture, precious moments, nativity, right? i all for the precious moments, nativity scene. We're talking about God coming down. And we have to let that fill our hearts here tonight to say we're talking about God here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with Him in the beginning. All things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that has been made. Now, let's let that undergird Let's let that be the foundation. Let's let that set the backdrop now for the focus of this holiday here today, which is God coming down. Jump down, verse 14, and we'll get into the kind of this nativity scene here. Verse 14 says, And the word became what? The word became flesh. John's communicating, God took on skin. God incarnated himself. Why would he do that? Why would God take on flesh? Uh, he goes on. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. Now just pause. I know, I know, I know. If you've, if you've grown up, in church and you've come to a Christmas Eve service your whole life or you've heard this, this, this part of scripture taught, you might go, yeah, and the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And you're familiar with it and you know it. Let's stop and let's think about the, 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 the awesome reality of holy God coming down and dwelling with broken, sinful people. That word, and he dwelt with us, it literally is communicating this. God came and he set up his tent among us. God came, and He here's here's a word that if you're if you uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, you're gonna He tabernacled among us. So let's think about this: We have a God who has always. Delighted in dwelling among his people, in coming down and being a remedy and a rescuer for his people. In the beginning, before sin, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they're walking with God in the cool of the garden, unhindered in relationship because there is no sin. Sin enters the world, that fellowship is broken, and God still, he doesn't say, Okay, I'm done, destroy it, start over. No, he begins. To call out a people unto himself. And this people he calls out unto himself, he establishes this thing called the tabernacle. And God's presence will come and dwell among them in the tabernacle. That tabernacle turns into a more permanent dwelling. The temple. And in the temple is the holy of holies. And God's presence dwelling among his people. And now John is going. It gets even better. God himself has taken on flesh and he is now dwelling among us. Why Would he do that? He would do that because he's not only compelled by love for broken people, in the very nature of who he is, he is love. And he knows that once sin entered this world, and sin is a disease that has plagued every single one of us sitting in here, The Bible tells us very clearly, all of us walk in here with a sin plague. All of us have sinned, and the way God said it is, we've fallen short of the glory of God. Now, the good news is that God took on flesh. He incarnated himself, came down to earth. 33 years after the event we're celebrating now, he would go to a cross. He would die. He would Be resurrected so that when we will put our faith in Jesus Christ, he will save us from this sin plague we all walk in here with. We celebrate Christmas now and in a few months we'll celebrate Easter and Christmas begins this rescue mission that Easter and the resurrection culminates. Come on church, say amen to that. Christmas has to elicit this awe. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let me give you some points to feel, fill in. Christmas is about Jesus. Jesus it's the pre-existent God of all. What is pre-existent? Jesus is, another way to say this, the always existing God of everything. This is who we're talking about this Christmas. Now, let me give you the second point right after this. Christmas is about Jesus. He is the always existing God of all. And then here's the, here's the awe of it all. He is the God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. He came down and dwelt among us. Just camp out there all night and all day long tomorrow. What we're celebrating is God coming down among us. Now, I don't want to stop there because where verse 14 goes on I think is so crucial as we think about our Christmas holiday and all the celebrations we're going to partake in the rest of tonight and tomorrow. Where verse 14 goes... I will argue, is the most important thing we have to get this Christmas. Where verse 14 goes is the greatest gift that we can understand tonight and tomorrow. The greatest need that we have will not be found under a tree tomorrow. Though my three-year-old thinks it will in the form of a Mickey Mouse clubhouse, that he's not getting. Don't tell him that. Our greatest need is where verse 14 goes. And look at where verse 14 goes. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He encamped with us. And John says, and we have seen his, what's the word? We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and grace. And truth. John then says, and you want to hear something awesome? Because he came down and dwelt with us, and camped with us, we have seen his glory. We talk about that word around here all the time. And our mission statement is to glorify God by making disciples. We talk about, Lord, we want to see your glory. We beg him for that. We pray to, Lord, show us your glory. Show us your glory. What is God's glory? I love the way John Piper talks about it. He says, the glory of God, you can't really put a definition to it. It's like trying to define beauty. Beauty is a really hard thing to define, but we know it when we see it. When we're sitting on a seashore and we see a sunset, we go what? Beautiful. When we're standing next to some awesome feature in creation. We go, that is beautiful. God's glory is hard to define, but it gets at this concept of of the beauty, and the majesty, and the goodness that radiates simply from who God is. And John says, God has come down, and he's camped among us, and we have seen his Glory. And I'm telling us the hunger of every heart that walked into this place today is to get a glimpse of the transcendent, awesome majesty, beauty of the glory of God. That's what we need tomorrow morning. That our, our homes will be places where Jesus is, is set central, right smack dab in the middle of the celebration in such a way that we're saying, Lord, we want to get a glimpse, a greater, greater glimpse of the glory of who you are because that's what we're on this earth for. Our life is to bring you glory. We want to experience more of your glory. Now, how do we, in the midst of All the food and the meals and the presents and all of the celebrations of Christmas. How do we pursue a greater glimpse of the glory of God this Christmas? Um, A statement, if you're in here um, and you would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to speak to you on how we pursue the glory of God in all things tonight and tomorrow. And then if you're here and you're like, I'm not a Christian, I would not identify as a Jesus follower. I'm here because he wants me here or she wants me here. I want to speak to you about how we pursue God's glory. For the Christians in the room, how do we pursue God's glory tonight and tomorrow in the celebration that we take part in? And I've written this out because I want to say it. Just like I have it here. We set Jesus central. We preach to our hearts. That all of the joy and all of the gifts and all of the food and all of the fun and all of the smiles on our kids' faces and all the most wonderful time of the year feelings, it all revolves around the pre-existent, glory-radiating, world-creating, life-giving, darkness-penetrating God who came down, who was laid in hay, heaven-bent on a rescue mission to redeem lost people so that God's glory radiates across the globe. Oh, the awe of the glory of Christmas. So, tomorrow, what we're opening, we're just ripping presents to shreds. Not the presents, but the wrapping paper. Um, As we're sitting there at breakfast, lunch, and that we would look our family in the eyes and we'd remind them, here's what this is what it's about. Do you, want, do you know why we give and exchange gifts? Because God has given us a gift, and let me tell you about that gift. And you repeat that whole statement right there to your kids that I just read off there. Okay, it's about the yeah, I can't, I don't even know what I wrote. keep coming back to it. Parents, not in like a corny way that your kid's like, oh, here he goes again. No, but we just keep coming back to it. And there's worship music in the background all day long. And when we're going to family, we're driving to family, we're praying in the car, Lord, there's going to be family members here and they don't know you and they don't have any interest in knowing you. Would you make us the fragrance of Christ to them today? Would they experience the awe of the glory of what we're celebrating here today that we would just set him central and he'd just be worshiping. Worshipped in all that we do. Come on, church. Amen. And then, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, Christmas, Christmas, then can just be about like we gather, you know, with family, and and it's good, and we exchange gifts. Um, but I'm t- it's so much more than that. I don't know if any of you experience like, you know, the buildup of Christmas, like tonight, like I'm fired up. Can't wait for tomorrow morning and to watch my kids. And then Christmas day is awesome and it can be busy and chaotic, but then anyone experience like the day after Christmas where it's like, Oh, it's gone. It's all of that. And it's gone. And family's heading back home. And if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, I'm praying for that day after Christmas, that maybe this year there won't be that downer like there has in the past because I've just been asking God all week and his, his spirit, God's spirit has to do this. That he would open up your heart tonight or tomorrow and you would say for the first time, maybe all of this and all of my life really is all about Jesus and his glory. And that you'd say for the first time, I have sinned. I am a sinner. I have done what a good and a holy and creating God has said not to do. And I I need a relationship with him. And that tonight or tomorrow as we celebrate this, that you would say, I'm done. I surrender. I'm done being God of my own life. I'm done being master of my own life. I surrender. Jesus, take it. And it's the gift God has extended to all of us in here by his grace, a free gift. It means that you can't do anything to earn it. You haven't done anything to merit it. God gives it to you freely the moment that you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. That is the greatest need this Christmas. And I'm praying that this is the Christmas you would just surrender and say, Jesus, this all, all of it really is all about you. And I want my life to this would be the Christmas you surrender. So what we celebrate when we celebrate Christmas is a pre-existent, always existing God who's created it all, who's the source of life of it all, humbly taking on flesh, coming coming down and dwelling among us and coming in the humblest form that you could ever have drawn up. Born and laid in a manger where the animals were staying, and now with the theology of Jesus on our mind this Christmas, as we walk out of here tonight, I just ask you, just stand to your feet right where you're at, and I want to, I want to do something before we walk out, just in a spirit of worship. Um, I just want to read the Christmas story as Luke in his gospel records it. So what you have with Luke, Luke's a historian, he's a doctor who was a historian. He he was writing an orderly account of the life of Jesus, and he starts his gospel account from a completely different place than where John started his. John started theology of Jesus. Luke, right in the second chapter, he wants to give an orderly account of the birth of this Jesus. And here's what he writes. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, the Bible is the greatest book of history. Why? Because God inspired it by his spirit. So when you read the Bible, It has to engage the theater of your mind. Now Luke is going to shift the attention to this just just obscure sheep field. Let your mind think about what happens in that field this night. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And here's the word, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a pre existent Creator God of the universe, life giving, life source Savior is born and is laying in Bethlehem, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly. There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I'm just praying for our families as we gather, as we go tonight, as we tuck our kids in, as we get up in the morning, that our homes will be places where the glory of God will just be on the highest display. That we'll get up and we'll do all of this and we'll just say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among all. Amen. Oh, let's restore, re-remind ourselves, rekindle, re-engage the awe of the glory of Christmas. Amen. Church, let's worship. Let's worship.